Can we call them zombies? Zombies. Zombies. (laughs) Zombie people. You could restore Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restore It All podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my vicarious vaccine participant, uh, Prasanna Maliandi. How's it going, Prasanna? <laughs> I'm good, Curtis, and hopefully soon not to only be vicarious. I'm supposed to go get my first vaccine on Saturday. So On Saturday? All right, because you yep. know, I, as you know, I, I, I scheduled, well, I don't know if we scheduled the podcast after I scheduled, I think we scheduled the podcast after I scheduled the vaccine, yep. but I got my vaccine two and a half hours ago. And, and how are you feeling? My left arm feels about 400 pounds <laughs> and, <laughs> and I, I just literally can't lift it. Like it's just, um, yeah, it's other than that, like I don't, I don't have any fever or anything. Cause I, you know, this is my second one and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I have heard from others uh, one of our podcast guests, Matt Starr, actually reached out to me and said, he goes, yeah, he he was down for the count for a couple of days, uh, to which I just said, you know, he was a wimp. And, um, <laughs> I and am now you're like, like okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'll see. So I'll see. And, and I've talked to I've had other friends who were fine the first day and not so fine the second day. So we'll see what happens in 24 hours from two hours ago. And when you got your first shot, it was. It, you were fine, right? I don't. Think well, you I had, had a sore arm. I just had a sore arm, and it sucks because I sleep on my left side. Um, yeah, I'm a side sleeper, and mm-hmm. it, they put it in the left arm, and so it was just difficult to sleep for a couple of days. But yeah, other than that, it was fine. So we'll see. You know, mm-hmm. um, at least you're now fully vaccinated, and you can go back to. Staying I am fully the same. vaccinated. <laughs> I am, however, not fully walleted. Ah, yes, because. I somehow left my wallet at a gas station in San Diego as part of my vaccine process. It's all part of the process. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't you know it's a two for one, Curtis? <laughs> Luckily, thanks to Tile, love Tile. We are not officially sponsored by Tile, but this is awesome. Not, yeah, this is, yeah, we are not officially <laughs> sponsored by Tile, but Tile has found my keys more times than I can uh, count and has found my wallet at a random place like this uh, twice now. Um, and I was able to, I, literally just before this podcast, I got a call from the gas station over there who returned my call and said, yes, we have your wallet. So it's a beautiful Ooh, yay. thing. Uh, and I knew to call that gas station because everything. my wallet said your, your wallet was last, I mean, the tile said your wallet was last seen at this spot. But anyway, okay, enough of this nonsense. Uh, let's bring on our guest. He's been in the regulatory compliance space since the mid eighties. He's the director of product management at a new company called Comply Trust Inc. Welcome to the podcast, Mike Johnson. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Prasanna. How are you now that you've got your wallet back? Well, well, <laughs> well I, I, I at least know where my wallet is. And a nice, nice young lady named Nancy is holding on to it for me. And the moment we are done here, I will be heading back down to San Diego <laughs> to go get my wallet. It's better to go get your wallet rather than being on the phone trying to cancel everything, though, and replace yes. it. Yes. Not yes. at, and including my my um, global entry card, which yeah, so so I'm happy. So Mike, we, you know, as I, I'm pretty sure you're aware of my work, um, and you you may have seen some things that 
I have either written or spoken on regarding things like GDPR and CCPA. Let's start at the very beginning. That's a very good place to start. I'm 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 singing now from <laughs> Sound of Music. So there there is GDPR, the Global Data Protection Regulations, and CCPA, which is the California Consumer Privacy Act. And and I know there are others, but these are the two that of which I'm pretty well aware that have this concept. There's two concepts. One is the right to to uh, know the data that a company has on you. And then the other is if you don't like them, you know, uh, if you don't want them to continue holding that data, you have the right to erasure under most circumstances, right? Unless they have like a, a valid business reason to hold on to that information, right? But you can request uh, the, you know, the, the formal name is right to erasure. The general sort of the vernacular name is the right to be forgotten where they can, um, uh, request that data to be forgotten. Does that sound about right? That is correct. We actually refer to both of them. We have the RTBF acronym for the right to be forgotten and the ROE for the right of erase. Persona, we've, we've run into this quite a bit. Haven't we? I, I know that we, that, uh, by the way, uh, Persona and I do both work for Druva, but this is not a Druva podcast. The opinions that you hear are ours. Also, be sure to rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. And if you have anything in the, you know, in the data protection space, uh, you know, any anything that is about keeping data protected, uh, we're here to talk to you and to have you talk to others and to, you know, have you on as a guest. So be, be sure to reach out to me. But yeah, I know I know that we we get we get questions about GDPR a lot at work, um, and and you know we we help people be GDPR compliant. One of the challenges that I know I've often been concerned with with right to be forgotten is this idea that the industry that Prasanna and I both work in, Mike, um, this idea of backups that it's at least one area where I worry that a company would delete somebody from say their Salesforce database and, or their Marketo database or something like that. Uh, and, or all of those databases. And then something happens like what happened last month at OVH. Are you, are you familiar with, familiar with the OVH thing that happened, Mike? No. Persona, you you know about OVH. Yeah. So basically, it was a cloud provider, right, that had their own data centers. They would host um, infrastructure for their customers. But basically, they had a huge fire that wiped out a bunch of their equipment and infrastructure. Oh, yes. And took out 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 their customer data. Yeah. Yeah. And and there were a lot of people that um, uh, lost lot of companies that lost data because they didn't back up their stuff, right? Even though I keep trying to tell them that there's no such thing as a cloud, right? It's just somebody else's computer, right? And, and make to, sure you follow the 3-2-1 rule. Follow the 3 two, one rule. Get another copy of your data somewhere else, man. Um, it's not up to the cloud provider to uh, to back up your data, right? Um, the the worry that I have is that, is that they do have a... Well, in this case... This this is actually be weird for me. The worry that I have in this case is that they have a backup, and then something happens, like what happened at OVH, and then they go to restore that backup. And depending on when that backup was and how often they get um, 
right to erasure requests, they could end up restoring people that they were supposed to have forgotten. Have you have you heard of this problem before? I have. I actually experienced it firsthand within my family. How so? Uh, my daughter. How so? Health insurance. Uh, she had a health insurance policy. Was probably been replaced maybe nine or 10 years prior to an event. Uh, she went in to get some physical therapy and they said, oh, it's denied. This, uh, this is not an active policy. And so when she called her current insurance provider, they said, oh, yeah, we had just done a restore uh, of our systems because we are going to prune all of our data so that we are in preparation for CCPA compliance. And so she had to cancel her, uh, her appointment and come back another day wow. until they had the, had the record squared away. So but, <laughs> I don't understand. So the restore, the restore deleted her data? I'm, try, I'm trying to understand what... It actually replaced it with a prior policy number. Oh, completely different account it was in her name, her social security number, but completely different policy that had been replaced and expired seven or nine years prior. Wow, to that. seven or nine <laughs> years—that's kind okay. of crazy. So let, me, let me see if I understand. Yes. What, so you're saying she, this was a medical provider, yes, that restored their database. And yes. the restore the version that they restored was before she gave her most recent insurance information. It was from the last time, and you're saying that it was nine years old. Correct. How was that? How was that? I, I I can't even I can't even think of how that's possible. <laughs> how they restored I, a backup that was nine years, and how that somehow made them more CCPA compliant. I think that was the whole design was to bring everything back in and prune from day one. Uh, oh, and, and like sure that, and re-enter everything like manually in a way that was more compliant. Not sure about that piece, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> someone oh. should be rethinking their process and what they're actually trying to accomplish. But they definitely uh, restored something that they should not have. So wow, Ex- it, it's funny that. we talk. We I, I talk about this like I, I talk about a lot of things, right? Um, some of which are actually related to my job. And it's interesting to actually hear uh, someone who's actually suffered it. And so in, so in this case, they restored an old version. So basically the same thing could happen where you restore a, a database into, you, you restore an older version of the database. And if it's, let's say a week old and you have several, if you're if you're a small company, it's probably less of a big deal. But if you're a bigger company, you could have hundreds of of uh, erasure requests in that time, and then you end up actually restoring all those people. You you would end up with a non-compliant situation. Could we just kind of take a step back and talk about that process before you get to the right to how people submit their right to be forgotten? Right what that entails, like what sort of information before I think we get into this, if you don't mind. So, yeah. So what, what, what's the first thing that a company, or I'm sorry, that a, a person, you know, so they're dealing with a company who they think might have personal information on them. What would be the first thing that they do? They would submit what's called a, a data subject access request or a DSAR or a subject access request. Okay. Which applies to like for under GDPR, uh, article 17 is the article that enables the right to be forgotten. So uh, under underneath that particular article, they would submit a DSAR, and then the data uh, controller 
would have a minimum of 10 days to respond that they actually receive the request and up to 30 days to give proof of deletion on the request. Okay. And this is data, I think, Curtis, before you talked about, this is data that's like your address, your email address, your social security number, things that aren't relevant from a business perspective, but Correct. might be used for marketing, et cetera. Correct. That old adage of PII, personal information. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's usually social security, passport numbers, medical record numbers, you name it. Yeah, yes. and it, it can go beyond that too. Like it, like I know both of them talk about things like IP addresses and... GPS um, coordinates, geospatial, geospatial yeah, coordinates. yeah, yes. geospatial coordinates. You might have that. Um, any piece of information that because it might not be P, it might not be what the U.S. generally thinks of when they think of P. When we say PII, we mean like name, birthday, social security number, right? But it's a lot broader than that, right? It's it's like you said, it, it is address. It's your phone number. It's um, your you know anything that can be you know put together and to identify to uniquely identify you um or your family right or your what so yeah so that's an interesting one i know that one that's one big difference between ccpa and gdpr is that ccpa has the concept of a household whereas gdpr is is generally it's just people right um that's correct this concept of a household and do you know how they differ what does ccpa define what a household is has to do with um, the the actual um, physical address. Okay, so yeah. people people residing at a place. Correct. At a house. Okay. Correct. Um, and so the and how you, you you so we talk about sort of logistically how or we talked about like from a process perspective how they submit such a request. What about logistically? Um, how does one submit um, such a request to a company? Well, typically they'll either send an email or they can also send a letter. You know, a, a DSAR can be just a simple letter to the organization if they have no idea how to get a hold of their email. But typically that's not the case. Uh, most of the stuff obviously is electronic. So they'll have an email address of the organization that they want to uh, send the request to. And it also might might it also not be a web page as well? Correct. Web page. Okay. So usually they usually have your contact, you know, form on there. Right, right. Um and, and so I, I actually just submitted one recently. Oh, did you? So I <laughs> so it wasn't a web page, but it was an email. I got a random cold call on my personal cell phone. I'm like, where did you get my information from? Because you should not have had my information. And so I actually submitted, and I haven't heard back, but I did submit an email to the company to see if they will get back to me on where do they get the information to. And then from there, I can look to see, can I actually forget my information? Because you should not have my cell phone number. Of course, this is this is only for companies that are actually going to try to abide by the law. There are certainly, there are certainly companies that couldn't care less, right? Um, <laughs> but... Um, the uh okay so we we talked about so you submit a request uh a dsar request and and what the, uh, that's like saying pin number so you submit a you submit a dsar <laughs> and then you're told that you know this is the information that you have on you and then i can say you know um can can i just go straight to the right to be forgotten or or is it do you always have to do the dsar first 
Uh, what do you mean by that? Well, could I could I just say this is my information? You know, mm-hmm. Curtis Preston. Here's my address. Here's my birth date. If you find me, then just get rid of it. Like, don't don't even tell me what you had. I just just delete anything you have on this person. Or does it always start with a an information request first? It usually starts with an information request. Now it's got to be something formalized. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then, you know, as, as opposed to an opt-in or an opt-out, then it's kind of general, you know. Right. Like request, yeah. Request for deletion or right to be forgotten is very specific. Right. Um, yeah. Because the and that, and that was another thing that happened with the with the opt-out or I I know with GDPR I don't know if it is with CCPA maybe you'd know or not I know with GDPR they require a hundred percent opt-in. Right. Meaning that if you're going to do uh, communications to an individual, they have to have basically opted into that. You can't just, you know, there used to be this. I don't know if there still is. There used to be a big business of selling people's personal information, you know, to be used without in that regard. That's got to still be a big business, right? I would agree. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Based, based on the number of calls and emails we all get. Yeah, I, I guess <laughs> I was thinking it's got to be a harder business now because if if businesses are supposed to use opt-in contact information only, are, are they basically being non-compliant simply by calling you in the first place? I would agree with that. You- but yeah, usually today when you request information from a company you've never done business with or you'd like to know more about it, mm-hmm. They'll send you a confirmation that you want to opt in before they even send you anything. A legitimate company. Oh, interesting. Uh, right. Well, that well that at that point it also becomes a transactional thing because I know yeah. that that different rules govern transactional emails versus marketing emails and things like that. Right. Um. So. All right. So we've we've submitted a request to, to you know, for this information. We're now told that, um, you know, here's the information that we have on you. And basically we've got, you know, Mike Johnson and we've got your address and we've got your birth date and we got your, we got your last four of your social security number, mother's maiden name. (laughs) (laughs) These are all the things that we have on you. Uh, Your first car, your pet name. (laughs) Your your pet name. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, and then, so then what? So now I, I'm told of all the information that we have or that they have, this entity has. Now what? Usually in, in regards to, for example, Salesforce, uh, with the information that they send back to you, you will then acknowledge that that is or is not the data that you'd like deleted. Gotcha. So you say, then, look, I, 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 I don't want any of this data in your, right. it doesn't matter if I said you could have it before I opted in before I am opting out now. Right. Uh, I, I said, you could email me, you're emailing me too much. You're emailing me too personally, whatever. Um, I'm opting out. Is that, have, have, persona, have you done that with any companies? Where I've opted out? Yeah. Where Oh is, Yeah. Yeah. At least at least in terms of like I do this all the time with email subscriptions. Uh-huh. Right. 
right? Yep. Where you start getting it and you're like, oh, this is great. Or there's like a deal and you're like, oh, I'll sign up for the free 20% coupon if I sign yeah, up yeah. to be on your mailing list, right? <laughs> and and like, then you I start getting it. I don't need to be told three times a day that uh, yep. I need new deodorant. Exactly. Um, and then you... and. It's nice, though, at least in Gmail, for instance, if you mark it as spam, it's like, do you want to report this as spam or do you want to report as spam and unsubscribe? Right. Right. So right. it's a little bit easier. But in terms of actually going onto a company's website and saying, I don't want your business anymore, I've done this in the past, actually, because I hate getting overloaded with like calls or junk mail. Right. So there's like the direct marketers. Uh, consumer agency i think dmca dmca yeah yeah where they basically you get all the junk mail in the in your postal mail right and so like you can go there and say i don't want to receive any offers for the next 10 years right right or five years and you can sign up and opt out of that i just wish i could get the quote-unquote canadian pharmacy to stop calling me on my cell phone (laughs) (laughs) the canadian pharmacy wants to sell me medication (laughs) and i'm like i don't know how you got my name but they but they but they won't stop they're not they're not trying to abide by the law they're using some voice over ip thing they don't care about the law um but uh, i know i've reached out to facebook before reached out to facebook and asked them for everything they had on me that was quite the revealing um like trove of Mm. (laughs) information they'll actually send you all your all your pictures and everything like downloadable in a in a big like a a giant zip file big zip zip file yeah um i've never done it with google i don't know if i want to ask google (laughs) what do you you know about this right what's that there's google takeout right which gives you but I don't know if that includes all of the other like advertising, cookie tracking, and all the other information as well, or if it's just your own personal information. Yeah. Um, but so so all right. So that so the, so you've asked to be forgotten, and then a company is supposed to do what? You said I think earlier you said something about thirty days. They've got thirty days. Is that both for GDPR and CCPA? That's correct. Uh, they have like 10 days to resp- to reply, but they right. have up to 30 days to actually uh, give you some kind of audible proof of deletion. Okay. And opt-in and opt-out, as you know, are completely different. You can opt-out, and they don't send you anything. You just stop getting emails. They don't really delete anything. Right. In most cases, they anonymize you or pull, put a set of flag. Right, right. Yeah, that that that's a really good point. It's very different, a right to be forgotten. You are supposed to be erased your existence is should be erased from their marketing database or what you know whatever database they have you in right not just flag that this guy doesn't want to be emailed you're supposed to literally be removed and this is this is where i see the problem yes okay because if you if you could just flag the record right you you could somehow store that somewhere else um, and then you could fix it if you did a restore, yeah, but move, because move the record is deleted, what would happen gone. if I restored an older version of the database? It'd be like, what happened to Mike's re- daughter? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It would restore that previously, supposedly forgotten data. That's right. Correct. And then I would then start getting the emails again and I would justifiably be, 
upset, annoyed. <laughs> right? Annoyed. And I could then, what could I then do? Well, you could, you could obviously call a company or resubmit a DSAR, or you could call your lawyer because if you already have proof that uh, they have provided deletion and here it is again, that's a problem. <laughs> and yeah. And so what, so yeah, so this is what I'm Are curious about. What, what would then happen? Let's let's say I wanted to go through the the hassle of I I guess I could is there uh, do I report you to a regulatory agency do I sue you what what does that look like like I I'm I'm thinking in CCPA it's got to be a lawsuit because we're in America and that's what we that's what we do right so we sue people but what what does that look like Yeah for GDPR you could either. Uh, Go, go back to the company directly, the data collector, uh, or you could actually report them to uh, uh, whoever is in charge of uh, the GDPR um, regulatory compliance uh, enforcement, because there, there is somebody that, in your country. Yeah, that's right. Um, there is no, as you know, there's nothing in the United States uh, for from a federal level right. for any kind of data privacy compliance. They're working on one. It'll come as soon as they get it figured out and let the state hash things out. Well, I live in the Republic of California. It's like its own country. I thought um, California <laughs> was putting an agency to. No, he was saying that there's something. not. There's not a federal. Yeah, yeah, the federal. Is what he's saying. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, no, no federal oversight. But, but what what happens in California though if if you because if I recall correctly, CCPA has both like regulatory possible fines as well as there's like per instance fines from an affected person. Uh, uh, Let me rephrase. As well as per instance, like fees, whatever you want to call it, like that get paid to the actual victim, as I recall, the CCPA. Does that, is that right? Yeah, it's per incident and it's per record. So one incident could have multiple records. If you know, just adhering to the normal three, two, one backup policy, uh, depending on what safe set they restored, you know, right. there could be multiple instances. So, uh, a big problem. But I think to answer your question, uh, the first first action you would take is resubmit a DSR and con- re-talk to contact the company to let them know that uh, your data has not been forgotten. Right. Yeah, and I, I guess if if enough people. If it's one person, it might be not a big deal. But if enough people file a request that um, um, that you that you have not forgotten them, even though you told them that you had, I would imagine that that would be a regulatory problem. Yes, enforcement's one thing. I you know the fines, the brand damage. But I think at the end of the day, uh, if it escalates. So that you have so many X amount of these per week or per month, right? You put a price tag on that, then it starts to make sense uh, why they need to fix that. I think Gardner said uh, an average data subject request costs a, cost a company fourteen hundred dollars each incident. Really? Yeah, fourteen oh six actually. Why? Why so much? Uh, well, it depends on. Um, the amount of time it takes for your staff to process a DSAR, mm. to actually go through manually, manually to go. Right now, most of the stuff is manual. Uh, there really is no uh, automated, efficient platform that processes 
the right to be the right of request for right of deletion. Okay. Uh, these are all these are all done manually because they're at a small a small level. Gotcha. And then a lot of this is also between multiple groups, right? It probably comes into the legal team and then it has to go across to the other teams within the company, depending on where that data actually sits as well, right? Well, initially it will come into obviously, you know, under in the IT department. And then it'll ultimately potentially end up in legal, but it really depends. You know, like for law enforcement and healthcare, you're probably not gonna have any luck deleting anything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's plenty of you know, regulatory compliance that protects those agencies so that they don't have to delete anything. Um, you know, right of the uh, life of the patient, life of the criminal, and the most important new one is life of the passenger. You know, with all these autonomous vehicles coming into play. Interesting. With, mm. So the whole, you know, they're going to have to save all of that data from those cars and all this geospatial information for the life of that passenger, because who knows how when a liability is going to occur. So that's a whole different perspective, especially, you know, for Druva, uh, but for the right of deletion and uh, right to be forgotten. So it's, it's going to be a big problem. Wow. I wasn't even thinking about the autonomous vehicles and everything else, but you're right. Yeah, there are lots of cases. I know usually when I think about like the right to be forgotten, I'm like, oh, it's just my data. That's like marketing and things like that. But when you start to think about like healthcare or life insurance or things yes. like this, right? I think those... Those probably fall under categories of data that the company has a business reason to keep that even if you, you, if you, if you request it, they can tell you that they have it, but they can provide a valid business reason. Say we're keeping it for this business reason. We're not keeping it so we can, you know, market to you or whatever. We're keeping it for, for this reason. Right. Um, Correct. I, They're I not think, a CRM company selling your data. Or, right, uh, right, right. Um, so, so we talked about backup as being one way that data could get deleted or forgotten. Data could be unforgotten. I don't think that's a word, but remembered. <laughs> <laughs> um, are there are there are there other ways that that could happen? Well, typical things, uh, you know, mergers and acquisitions. You okay. Know, so, like, what would happen there? They would import data from each entity into a common database, potentially. So you're talking about, so company A buys company B. Company A forgot somebody, right, by a right-to-be-forgotten request. And then company B has that person in their databases, but the data subject didn't tell company B to delete them. So they merge in. Company B's marketing database gets put into company A's marketing database and suddenly, company A is is emailing forgotten guy again, and again we're back to the same problem, right? Is that what you're saying? That's correct. Yeah, that would suck to be the data subject because you're like, hey, I told you. That's what we call a stubby. Sucks no. to be you. <laughs> <laughs> but but then I was also thinking, if it goes the other way, if company B acquired company A, uh-huh. right? When they merge, then they wouldn't know any information. But does that change? Well, com- well, company. Oh, I see what you're saying. When company B acquired company A, well, in that case, the person then, would be getting contacted by company B, and they wouldn't know that company A is part of company B. Depends, so though, right? Because what happens if the company A was the one still like it was an independent subsidiary, right? And so they still had their name. They were still sending out emails, right? That's an. I don't know what happened because technically I was thinking, you should have. Been- 
forgotten. I was but... thinking about like U.S. Air acquiring American Airlines, mm. and then they became American Airlines. Mm. Like it, like it, it, like yeah, U.S. Yeah. Air acquired American Airlines, but they kept the American Airlines brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and got rid of the U.S. Air brand. Uh, that could that could happen as well. But yeah, but I think M and A is a, a perfectly valid situation and, and complex <laughs> it, yeah well it's it's potentially legally defensible potentially anything's potentially right legally <laughs> defensible. but it's also i think the risk is much higher right because when you merge two companies you're you, you're merging potentially hundreds of thousands maybe even millions of records and in those records are is a high possibility of uh, people that one or the other companies was supposed to have forgotten. That's correct. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that's problematic. Do you have anything else? Another, any other scenarios? Sure. A couple examples, you know, salespeople, uh, what do they do when they leave a company and go to a new company? They, they take their database. They take their, their here's a, here's a word for you. Let's see if persona knows the word, Mike, <laughs> they bring their Rolodex. I know what a Rolodex is. <laughs> and what did I read on Twitter? Was it you, Curtis, who posted? Someone had posted that. Who is it? When someone died, their Rolodex had like 100,000 names in it. No, that wasn't me. What What are you talking about? There was, some, there was someone <laughs> who post, posted that someone had 100,000 people in their Rolodex when they died. It was some famous person in New York. Okay. And when they died, and it was like, if you laid it all out, it could go like around the world or something like that. Oh, so they had an actual physical Rolodex yeah. with 100,000 yeah. people in it. Yep. And that um, they were constantly contacting people and talking to people, right? That sort of thing. Yeah. If you're, if you're a listener to this podcast and you don't know what a Rolodex is, um, let me also talk to you about uh, something called a VCR. And um, <laughs> there's, there's so many pieces of technology that you've never heard about. But yeah, it, it, it was literally a physical, it was a deck of cards that rolled around, hence the word Rolodex. Um, yep, but, had a little wheel, you turned it. Yeah. I think now, the uh, fellow you're referring to, Prasad, his name was David Rockefeller. Yeah, there we go. I thought I read it on Twitter, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John, as in John D. Rockefeller or different Rockefeller? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, okay. But he, is in New, he was in New York. <laughs> So we bring in a salesperson and you're saying they bring their Rolodex with them, which in, in this world, it's a CSV file, right? They've, they've yep. got a, yep. they got an Excel spreadsheet or something like that. And then they upload their Excel spreadsheet into, let's say, Salesforce or Marketo or something like that, right? I, there are many other products that aren't those two, but those are the two. Are, are those the two biggest ones, I think? Persona, you think? Is that? I think Pretty much I Salesforce know Salesforce and Marketo. Salesforce and Marketo, yeah. I know we use Salesforce and Marketo. Well, Salesforce, Salesforce is definitely number one. Yeah, and uh, Salesforce they acquired a Marketo competitor, Park Parquet, was it? So Salesforce does the same thing as Marketo now. Well, the biggest Salesforce acquisition that caught my attention late, recently was Slack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that. <clears throat> Just for the record, uh, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know Salesforce acquired Slack. Did I miss something? Yeah, January of this year. I guess I was too busy. I don't know. I don't know what I was too busy doing. $28 billion. Yep. $28 billion? Yep. That was right under 28. It's like, yeah. Yeah, 27.7. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. That's you a, got it. That's a Hotel Foxtrot Sierra situation right there. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what that translates to, figure it out. Anyway, um, so again, sales guy uploads their contact list into Salesforce and Marketo. And then suddenly your company who is supposed to forget Steve is now emailing Steve again because you just hired Joe Smith yep. with his Rolodex. And hopefully in this, this current age of compliance, most IT departments would control, you know, the uploading and importation of such data into their database. However, I'm not sure, always... I'm not sure if that's even controllable in Salesforce. Yeah. And would you uh, want to stop sales in that sense, right? You want exact, those exactly. leads, right? Yeah, that's correct. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think as long as you have access to your own records, you know, honestly, the data loader, you put in the data loader and poof, right? You can put in all the, I don't think there's anything built into Salesforce that could stop you. I mean, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a what do you call it? A, um, a sales level in Salesforce that is edit only. Right, where you're only allowed to edit and you know yeah, modify and add to current records and not upload new records, but there are a lot of roles that can be defined in Salesforce. Yes, yeah, the role is the is the thing I was I I, I don't know if such a role exists in Salesforce and whether or not it and whether it or not anyone that uses would, that role. Yeah, it seems like that would just hinder productivity of your sales team. You know, exactly, and it would be up to the Salesforce admin to do his job and monitor. Uh, the data that was put in. So we talked about restoring, accidentally restoring old people. We talked about merging two companies and therefore, again, bringing back in new people that are. Can we call them zombies? Zombies. Zombies. (laughs) Zombie people. And then, and then uh, salespeople. So I guess, uh, and you know, it's funny. I, I, I remember when GDPR just really started, uh, you know, coming out, I remember talking to Chris Meller about this and Chris Meller at the register actually wrote an article that was talking about how I saw this as a problem with backup and recovery, right? I saw this as a, um, you know, and long-term archive, it's just, yeah. And long, and long-term archive, right. Um, and snapshots and anything that keeps copies of data, because as I, as I, I remember saying somewhere backup is designed to remember. It is not designed to forget, right? <laughs> and it would take a complete re-architecture of backup and recovery technology as I know it to undo that. And and there are some technologies, right? If you look at even in the case of like uh, test and dev use cases where people are taking their production databases and spinning it up for their developers. In a lot of those cases, you end up redacting data. Not necessarily forgetting it, but at least redacting it so the people trying to access the data don't have your social security and other PII information. I know it doesn't quite solve the GDPR and CCPA needs there, right? Because you really have to forget about the data. But I think that's kind of how people deal with that issue with those copies today. Yeah, initially they used to just anonymize. Yeah, yeah but that's that really doesn't meet the letter of the law. Yep. So, or I should say the spirit of the law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it doesn't meet doesn't meet either of them, I, I wouldn't think. Correct. Um so 
how how would you solve that? I'm assuming because you you are listing this as a problem, how do you remember people? Like, well, how do you, how do you make sure that somebody doesn't get accidentally re-remembered? Re-remembered? That's not a word. Or, that, that's I guess, that's like repetitively help- redundant. Yeah. Or I guess it's how do you keep how do you help customers avoid the problem problem of remembering people they shouldn't be remembered? And there you go. Hence the beginnings of this new company, Comply Trust, designed a product called Forget Me Yes, which basically remembers those who we are supposed to forget. And it basically is a B2B play for data collectors, but it protects both the data subjects, the users who are requesting to be deleted, as well as the data collector who maintains and holds and must acknowledge that they're processing and deleting that data request. It sounds like you're saying it helps both with the, you're helping with the DSAR as well as the RGBF. Right. So let's say for a Salesforce organization, for example, they would uh, use the Forget Me Yes platform to process those DSARs and it would provide an auditable, a a zero knowledge encrypted uh, proof of deletion to that requester that those records had been actually deleted. And then it would use a, depending on what the user has defined, some period of time to actually requery to make sure that the data stays forgotten. Maybe it's quarterly, maybe it's semi-annually, maybe it's annually. It really depends on how long they want to use the product and be a subscriber. And so that's kind of helps with those issues we're talking about, sort of restoring a backup or a salesperson accidentally importing or importing the data and the mergers and acquisitions. So exactly. you, you would then notice that Steve Smith, who was supposed to be forgotten, shows back up in the database? Yep. Even if it was a different uh, record ID, right. uh, as, long, as long as the PII data that the user had requested to be deleted is a perfect match mm-hmm. with a new record found, right. then you would again request uh, request and, that to be deleted as well. And what would you do in that case? So you so you found Steve Smith, who you were supposed to have forgotten. What would you do as a product? Uh, forget me, yes, automatically sends a deletion request again back to the Salesforce administrator. And then if the, once they delete it, they, a part of the FMY platform, they send a what's called an acknowledged acknowledgement of deletion intent form that says yep this record has been deleted so from an audibility perspective um we have a zero knowledge platform so the fmy user he's the only person that can access any of this data now from the day that he logs into the portal and gets authenticated we supply him his, his private keys um the only thing that ever travels over the over the internet is a public key. Um, so all this information exchanged between the Salesforce orgs and the requesters is all encrypted and secure. Okay, so so you're saying essentially, if I could sum up what you're saying, you're saying that you're basically maintaining a database of people that the company is supposed to have forgotten. So I guess the question is, you know, is the company still complying with the letter and the spirit of the law, if you're holding on to the data for them, like, does that make sense? One thing that, you know, when we talked about back in the day was, well, why don't we just keep a table of the people that we're supposed to have forgotten? And that's literally 100% not not in keeping with the, the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, right? 
uh, is if the company keeps a table of the people that they're supposed to forget because they were supposed to forget them. <laughs> if you're keeping a table of the people that they're supposed to forget, how are they in compliance? Like, I understand why you're doing it. That that I totally understand. And I understand why they can't do it. How is you doing it on their behalf still in compliance with with the with the intent of the law? Data in transit, data at rest, all data is encrypted. And the only person that can access that data is that particular data subject. So when you when a data subject requests XYZ information to be deleted, and let's say, for example, the Salesforce org response and said, acknowledgement of deletion intent, we have deleted these records. That information, that record ID and that associated request ID is stored in a database with that encryption key and only the user, the data subject, can access that information. The FMY platform doesn't have knowledge of it. The cloud infrastructure doesn't have any knowledge of that. Um, what about the customer? The, the customer. The, the business, you your, your customer, the B2B the, customer. The same, the data collector. They would have no way of accessing that information. I would say the only way they have access to that is obviously when they did the transformation on in the data collection in their Salesforce org, they would have some kind of audit tracking of the records that they deleted themselves mm -hmm. but that would be completely independent of what we're storing in the fmy so they, could, they could query they could say did you delete steve smith right and you could say yes we deleted steve smith back in july but they can't but you can't say give me steve smith's data back or whatever your, your job is definitely not to restore data your job is to requery to make sure it stays gone to make sure it's it's forgotten <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. So you're so so if I again uh, just sort of restating it in a in a vernacular, you're storing it in an in an encrypted way in such a way that you can't see it, the customer can't see it, which is a bit weird, right? It's a bit <laughs> weird. You're storing data for me, but I can't see my own. You know, I can't see the data that I'm asking you to store. But by doing it that way, you're you're basically providing a defensible deletion. You're able to say this, this data has been effectively deleted from the from the vantage point of the customer. It, it does remind me. Um, there's a company. Um, I believe their name is Axiom, um, and they were uh, they were. I think they still are headquartered in Conway, Arkansas. Have you ever heard of Conway, Arkansas? You Mike? have the randomest places that you know. <laughs> Mike, have you ever heard of Con Conway, Arkansas? I uh, know, just Bentonville. <laughs> okay, well, if you've never heard of Conway, Arkansas, then you've never heard of Toad Suck Park, which is nope. in Conway, Arkansas. I have, I have a mug, I have a coffee mug from Toad Suck Park, Conway, Arkansas. When I was there, like 10, 15 years ago, it was a like a one horse town, and in this one horse town was this giant multi-billion dollar company. And what this company did, as they explained it to me, was this is where all the customer loyalty databases went. Uh, like, uh, like you know, when you when you shop at Vons or whatever and you, you, know, you use your little thing and they track you. Yes. But there was a real concern that this stuff would get, you know, that, that, that this stuff was all very privacy related. And so they provided this unique service where they, they stored data on your behalf, but they don't let you ever see it. You can query it, right? You can say, show me all the things that guys, you know, white males over 50 bought from our store. You could do that, but you can't say, 
show me what Curtis Preston bought at the store, right? So I see that as somewhat of a parallel there um, that you're storing the data on their behalf. And you, and by the way, what what are you storing? Um, are you storing like the entire history of this person? What are, what are you actually storing? Um, we actually separate the data. We have what's whatever the PII data that they're requesting to be deleted. Uh-huh. Each, of, each of those fields is stored in a, in a configuration database for that particular user. And then the actual data that gets deleted, we store the, the Salesforce org, the record ID number, and then the request ID associated with their original PII request. So you're never storing the actual data that came from like Salesforce about the person. You're just sort of storing, no. okay, just enough of the request information who had originally Correct. submitted it, plus what you actually deleted in the back end. I know that things have been picking up in terms of GDPR and CCPA. Where what do you see next as being the biggest challenges? Like, I guess why should someone be looking at like a forget me yes platform or something else for helping them out, right? As they're looking at GDPR and CCPA? Well, as uh, data privacy regulatory, you know, regulations and legislation continues to increase, I mean, we only have what five states out of fifty that has legislation in place. Uh, there are probably 20 more that have it actively uh, on the plate for legislators to either approve or disapprove or modify in some manner. Uh, India is actually the biggest one that's really close mm-hmm. to adopting, uh, and, and they do have a right of erasure and right of deletion within that platform. Um, Canada, you know, the Pepita, they're trying to modify that uh, to add right of deletion. It's It still has not been approved, but it's coming. So... You know, you take an average of $1,400 uh, to manage a DSAR, and let's say you only get 30 a month, uh, with all this legislation increasing and all the potential opportunities to remove all this data, you're talking about a plethora of DSAR, you know, right of deletion requests. That's going to add up a lot for your IT department. So what you're saying is I use this product to both find, like to to, to answer the DSAR um, request in the first place, and then to actually, and I use it to delete it. And then what do I connect it to? What do you mean by connect? What, what, to? what, so what the, these DSARs go against databases, you're going to need to talk to some other databases. So what, what, you know, yes. What, what are you, what are you going to talk to? Uh, initially we obviously focused on Salesforce being the largest target market in the world. Makes sense. Um, the next one actually is going to be Shopify based on some of the customers we've talked to. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought so. Uh, Marketo is in the list, of course. But quite honestly, any SQL or NoSQL database, uh-huh. I mean, a database. Well, that's pretty provider, much all of them. If it's SQL or NoSQL, a, that's, a, those are all the exactly, things. Exactly. <laughs> How many databases are there, Curtis? There, yeah, there's 155 of them, I believe. Um <laughs> Products, um, so from cockroach to couch based, to- yeah, yeah, all the all the things. So basically, you'll have what a, like a connector that can connect to other random databases. Yes. Okay. What any thoughts of like connecting it to file system data at all? Yes, it's on the roadmap. Okay. So today, Salesforce. Tomorrow, Shopify, which is I didn't see Shopify, that coming. HubSpot. Um, <laughs> Upspot. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, who a knows? lot of these, a 
lot of these retailers who are the, are the chronic abusers of, you know, your data uh, is where, you know, they end up at Shopify. One of the problems we've identified with Shopify is there's no centralized, you know, uh, database. It's all regional. It's spread all over the place. It's not, it's, uh, so you're going to have to work independently uh, with each database. Um, so it sounds like with Forget Me, yes, you want to make sure no matter where customers have their data stored, you will ensure that users' privacy needs are being met in terms of right to be forgotten and right to erasure. That's correct. By remembering those who are supposed to be forgotten. What did you say? You said remembering though. What did you say? Remembering those who they are supposed to forget. Okay. Well, well, Mike, uh, very interesting company. Uh, wish you all the best. And, you know, interesting. It's always interesting when you see a new type of company start. And I definitely think this is a new, you're, you're definitely solving a problem that I remember thinking about. And it's interesting. You came up with the other, like I was just, I mean, go figure. I just thought of the backup and restore perspective, but you mentioned like mergers and acquisitions. And so it's actually a bigger problem than I first had thought. So um, it's good to see that somebody's trying to solve it. And you know, what's funny, Curtis is I think our very first episode of this podcast was the one year anniversary of GDPR. That is true. (laughs) That that is true. That is the very first podcast, by the way. um, All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Mike, for coming on. Thank you for the invite. I, I, it's uh, it's been fun, and uh, hope you get your wallet back shortly. <laughs> As do I. Um, I will thank Nancy at the Chevron on Mira Mesa Boulevard in San Diego. <laughs> Shout out to Nancy. Um, Mira and, Mesa. I know exactly where that is. Do my, you? Uh, son, my son lives down there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and thanks, Prasada. Thank you, Curtis. Thank you, Mike. I learned a lot about GDPR and CCPA. And like Curtis said, best of luck on the Forget Me Yes platform. Thank you both and have a great week. And uh, thank you to the listeners and make sure to subscribe so that you can restore it all. System isn't worth a spit. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead, it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spit.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe 